United States of America. That's not an arrogant statement. I know there are a lot of great countries in our world, um, but I'm just mainly thankful for freedom. And uh, I'm thankful for uh, what, what this country was founded on. And so thank God for that. Well, last week we launched into a two-week series that wraps up today, and we began dealing with a very sensitive yet relevant cultural topic. And so if you missed it, you're jumping in halfway through, uh, you'll still benefit, of course. But I really ask you, encourage you to go back and watch on our archived messages, whether through YouTube, Facebook, uh, go to our website at refugechurchonline.com, and just listen to the groundwork that was laid for this very sensitive yet culturally relevant topic. And so today is week two of this series, and that is God's voice in the transgender discussion. And this is the second week. Would you please pray for me? Because anytime you deal with a sensitive topic, you want to do so in a very compassionate and wise manner. And so I don't want anything that I say to be misconstrued. Matter of fact, I don't even want to be the one speaking today. I want to be the one that's the vessel for God to speak through. And so I, I just want to be a mouthpiece for Jesus Christ today. So would you pray for those two things, really for me to be a mouthpiece for the Lord and then for yourself or for those watching online uh, to receive what it is that God is trying to say to us today. Lord Jesus, we love you. And God, you just heard me explain to everyone here and everyone watching online, God, how I desperately just want to be a mouthpiece of yours, Lord, and I know that I don't have to stand here and pray that your word would be powerful, anointed. It's, all, it's already all those things. You're incredible. But God, as humanity, in humanity, as human beings, sometimes we get in the way of you, and I don't want to do that today. I want you to just speak through me, Lord, and Lord, just mightily, powerfully anoint and use me today in this pulpit. But God, I also pray for anyone watching, Lord Jesus, no matter where they are in life, what they're doing, what they're going through, Lord Jesus, whether they're watching in here in person, let your, Lord Jesus, just continue, let your love be upon them, let your grace and mercy be upon them, but also, Lord Jesus, convict us when necessary, Lord Jesus, change us, mold us, shape us into what you want us to be, and so, Lord, I pray these things in your name, in the name of Jesus, amen. To clarify, once again, what we started last week, when I use the term transgender, it's an umbrella term for the state or condition of identifying or expressing gender identity that does not match a person's genetic sex. Now, we explained this last week. And so, this may mean dressing in the culturally determined dress of the gender that, and to which someone identifies. Now, even that, culture has tried to argue, especially in our Western world, that, the, that we do not have gender-specific dress. Before I dive too deep into just the topic of transgenderism and all these things, I want to pause because I feel like I'm going to say some things here that are, are, are very powerful to what we stand for and believe as apostolic Pentecostals. When I say apostolic Pentecostals, that does not mean like a man-made religion that was just made years ago. No, when I say apostolic, it means go to the book of Acts of the Apostles. We adhere to the teaching, the methods, the practices of what the apostles taught. So our church is not interested in reformation, meaning reforming what maybe another church did in the 1500s or 1600s or 1200s. We are restorationists, meaning I want to restore what God was doing in the first century when he chose the apostles and poured his spirit upon all flesh. 
So we say apostolic meaning, I'm adhering, adhering to the apostles' doctrine and methods. Say, we say Pentecostal, meaning the, the Pentecostal experience, like you would read about in the book of Acts chapter 2. They were all in one accord in one place. They were on the day of Pentecost. God poured out his spirit upon all flesh. And so we believe that he has not ceased pouring out his spirit. If you want to be filled with the spirit of God, you are in the right place. This is a Pentecostal church. And so we adhere to that doctrine. But it's, not, it's a whole lot more than just like repentance, water baptism, initial signs, initial commitments, things like that. People will walk into a Pentecostal church, an apostolic church, and say, man, it seems different. And they, they, they notice differences maybe in things that you see and maybe way people dress or carry themselves or ways they act. Um, it's not just in forms of worship or even or the plan of salvation that's taught or preached. But I would say every culture has gender-specific dress. They did in the Bible, and we still do in the Western world in 2023. And as apostolic Pentecostals, we have always embraced gender identity. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, Scripture, you will go through, and Scripture will talk about clothing, apparel, hair, things like this. In our church, we will never, ever try to force anything, just like if someone who is a transgender person walks in, I talked about last week, I will walk up and I will greet them by the name in which they introduce me. I will show them respect, just like any, any I don't care what anybody, any sin that anybody is in, I'm going to treat them with love, respect, kindness, and compassion, because that's what I see Jesus doing. And so... No matter what somebody is wearing, not wearing, no one here is ever going to try to force you to like look a certain way, dress a certain way. That is not the case. You come, I'm going to wear a suit and a tie. I don't say everybody has to wear a suit and a tie. You don't have to dress a certain way. Whatever you do, come, come as you are and let's worship God together. Okay, this is the mindset. But I will say that there are certain things that you will see around here where people do certain things or they have certain, uh, uh, certain things that they do as worship unto him. And they will say, you know what, I'm going to choose to do this with my body because the Bible says, let our bodies prove what is the good and acceptable, perfect will of God. And so there, there are certain things that, that you will see people choose to do or not do that they feel in their personal walk with God based on Scripture I'm going to do this because it's my form of worship unto him. And so we encourage that. We, we, we say, hey, if it's in Scripture, let's go ahead and follow that. Again, not ever saying, if you're going to come and worship here, you better look this way, talk this way, act this way, say these things. That's not the case. But when you do look around in Scripture, the Bible does talk about things like hair and apparel. And that's why I strongly encourage you, if you've never sat through a Bible study, that's an incredible place to start where you study the Word of, of God like once a week, about 45 minutes, and there'll be 10 to 12 weeks of going through the Word of God. But then after that, there's a discipleship course that goes about 16 lessons. It's broken into four categories. One is, first category is the basics. Second is uh, life, lifestyle issues. Third is church and family. And last is what people see. And I encourage everybody to go through that discipleship course because it's how do we live life for Jesus? Let's look at what, this is not catechism. It's not a teaching of the history of the United Pentecostal Church. It's nothing like that. It is let's look at God's word for our lives and see what does he say in his word. And I want to do my best to align with that. 
And so I strongly suggest going through these things if you have not already. Um, and even if you're online, we offer these things in an online manner too. But God, he saw this day coming, this day that I'm talking about here today. This is why he gives us verses like this in Deuteronomy 22.5. He said, a woman must not put on men's clothing. Now, people say, well, there's no such thing as men's clothing. Well, then you need to take that up with God because God said there should be gender distinction. This is God. This is not me or our church. The word of God says a woman should not put on man's clothing and a man must not wear women's clothing. Anyone who does this is detestable in the sight of the Lord your God. So this sounds like a pretty serious thing. And entire chapters, like 1 Corinthians 11, you know, people will say, well, 1 Corinthians 11, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, it's this whole chapter on hair. Okay, well, I disagree. Actually, if you go to the beginning of the chapter, Paul is talking all about headship. Hair is a reflection, and it's a covering, and he, I don't have time, that's not what I'm preaching today, but we do go through a whole lesson what Scripture says in the discipleship course. But I want you to, to know that even then, it was never about a piece of clothing or a haircut. It's always been in Scripture about gender identity and gender distinction. God has always wanted genders to be separate and distinct. And so it, you could almost say, well, God saw this day coming. And that's why he tried to draw guidelines for us. Gender identity and distinction are not the only thing that, that, things that God's passionate about. He's passionate about the way he created us. Last week, I talked about many passages, how God created us we, when we were in our mother's womb. So much of this is why we preach what we preach as apostolic Pentecostals. We don't only preach about embracing God-given gender and sex, but also just the overall way he created us. So I would say embrace your skin color, embrace your hair color, embrace yourself the way God created you to be. He did an amazing and wonderful job. And speaking of this topic of transgenderism, look at how common it is. Although you can't, the exact numbers, it's hard to pin down at this point. But the Williams Institute at the University of California estimates that 0.6% of the U.S. population, or 1,400,000-ish people, are, are, are identifying as transgender. And guess what? As society becomes more socially tolerant, people reporting gender dysphoria or identifying as transgender will likely increase. Um, this is part of the world in which we live, which is why I will take two valuable, I don't take this pulpit and this time with you when you could be doing a million things and you chose to be here and listen to this message. I don't take these moments lightly. So if I'm going to take two weeks on a topic on a Sunday afternoon in this pulpit, you better know, A, God has spoken to me, and B, I've, I see the value in society that we need to look at this. And so God has to have a voice in the transgender discussion, and we need to have a voice too, although it should be a loving one. But I want to dig deeper, a little deeper here today. Think of everyday choices we make all the time. How do I decide whether or not to have ice cream? Anybody here like ice cream? Raise your hand if you like ice cream. 
Raise your hand if you dislike ice cream. So there's two people, I think. Um, we still love them. They're a bit odd, but we still love them. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> well, if I decide to get ice cream at Baskin Robbins, well, how do I decide... I think, I think you just wanted me to speed up my message now. <laughs> how do I decide, and there's not even 31 here, but how do I decide between 31 flavors? That is extremely difficult for an analytical person like myself. Um, I guarantee you, if I'm at Baskin Robbins, at some point my wife is saying, Gary, just choose one. <laughs> In making this decision, though, I could choose to listen to my feelings, which are saying, taste, just get the ice cream. Or I could look to my reason. I could say, um, I'm dieting. Ice cream's unhealthy, um, which I'm not. I want you to say, I want you to know that. <laughs> Perhaps I will locate the basis for my decision and maybe the way my mom brought me up. I will say, you know what, I'm going to pass on ice cream because my mom warned me against eating too much sugar. Again, maybe she didn't, maybe she did. Uh, if she did, I wasn't listening because I eat a lot of sugar. Um, or maybe I'm fasting ice cream, adhering to a certain religious code. Uh, so in this decision-making process, there are a host of different situations, of different sources of authority where I could use or kind of adhere to or look to in making my decision. There could be feelings, reason, family, religion. And this is all just in the silly topic of Baskin-Robbins ice cream. They should give me a free scoop for using them as a picture. But how do these things now factor into sexuality and gender? I would argue a great deal. As far back as the 16th century, especially since World War II in 1939 to 45-ish, uh, there has been a crisis of authority in the Western world. Think about this from our history, and let's look at a few things. In our history, we see child sex abuse scandals. And before that, pro professing Christians at times in our history, practiced race-based slavery. So it made it reasonable to question whether churches could actually be trusted. Then political scandals like Watergate in the 70s or the sexual affairs of Bill Clinton and others in the 90s or Trump's Twitter account <laughs> maybe have lowered the respect that we have for national leaders. Videos of police officers beating and shooting unarmed black Americans eroded trust in civil authority. But on the other side, police officers losing trust in society that they're trying to protect as videos surface of people screaming in them, spitting in their faces, and they're supposed to just take it. I mention these things because no matter where we are, and everybody has opinions about all the issues of society, I mention these things because when Claims to authority are challenged and contested. 
Where is it left for us to look to for a source of authority, knowledge, and trustworthiness? So the answer has become in 2023, me, myself. I am the source of what I deem to be true. Who has the right to tell me how to live? Well, who knows me better than me? Who can I trust what's best for me rather than me? But the Bible, it tells a different story. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The world has a creator. And what is made belongs to its creator. So the creator has authority. What is made is best it's, made, it's, it's best known by its creator. The creator then doesn't just have authority. The creator has knowledge. And since I'm a part of creation and I'm alive with creation, God has the right to tell me what to do. That's not popular preaching in 2023. And he also has the knowledge necessary to understand what is best for me in my situation. We often will try to help tell him what's best for our situation. And he paid a price when he took on flesh and he died on a cross. This is why Christians hold views or believe things that go against what may come to us naturally or instinctively. Sometimes my flesh says... If I'm in a fast, I guarantee you, if someone's fasting here today, I showed Baskin Robbins, and unless you're one of the two people who don't like ice cream, your flesh is going, dear Lord, maybe I could break the fast. How long have I been fasting now? I'm kind of close to the end. And the flesh will start to justify what the flesh desires. Christians have found a better source for authority. Adam and Eve tried to look to themselves for authority, and it resulted in death. We have come to realize, through both personal experience and from the Word of God, we need a Savior. It's crucial, especially when self and Scripture disagree like they so often will. I don't care how long you've served God. I don't care what your title is, if you're a leader or not. Your flesh is going to desire things that are contrary to God's plan for your life. And so we have to know why are we thinking the way we're thinking. We must be able to trust the source of absolute authority, and that is God and his word. So if I could, in, in, in all of this, if I could like leave one thing that hopefully, if you're here and going, man, you're talking about transgender, I, I, I don't struggle with that, I don't know anybody who does, I'm not related to anybody, there's no one in my world, then I want you to get this, and that is the world right now is trying to belittle the word of God. If there's anything that you need to take from this message in 2023 is the word of God still stands. It is still absolute authority. Don't don't let anybody tell you that's just a man-made book and it's got changes and it's not done. No, it still stands. It's still powerful. And so this does hold true that we trust God. We trust his word and it holds true for all issues, including sexual morality. 
transgenderism, any other, any other topic that comes into humankind, into our hearts, that maybe contradicts the Word of God. I'm not picking on one sect of people, one person who's struggling with one certain thing. We're going to look. The Bible gives a whole list of, of sins if we walk in the flesh. They're all sin. We read this passage last week, Genesis 1, 27 and 28. It says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God created he them. It says male and female, he created them. So he creates us very clearly with two, two genders. As we looked at last week, Facebook has over 50 gender options. It's not God. It's not what he created. He creates male and female. And then he says, be fruitful and multiply. Replenish the earth. He says, replenish the earth to Noah, but he says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and govern it. So God creates two genders, male and female. Men and women are different. I thought that that was like the safest statement in humanity about five years ago. Um, but I was do, doing pre-marriage counseling with somebody who does not attend church here. A matter of fact, they're no longer married. Um, but in this pre-marriage counseling, I said, men and women are different. And the, the female in the room said, I don't agree with that. It, not many things catch me off guard. I've been doing this now 14 years. I've seen a lot of things, but I was like, uh, excuse me? I disagree with that. I was like, so you're saying men and women are not different? No. I was like, okay. I quickly moved on because you can't argue with never mind. Um, but... And so when he commanded them to reproduce, he says, you know, he says, obviously we bring different things to the table, and I'm not going to go into that. But men and women are different. I had someone argue this, but here's the thing. Our differences extend to the deepest levels of our being. Chromosomes, brains, voices, body shapes, body strengths, reproductive systems, bones, bone structure. To my knowledge, that if somebody decomposes, they can do research that grabs bones and still can identify this. I don't care what kind of changes you go through, what you look like on the outside, the core structure of who you are, your bones still point to your gender. And so what our bodies are designed, they're designed and destined to be different. Now, I'm going to go ahead and spend a few moments on this so that nobody thinks that, like, I'm a chauvinist or something. I don't know. But men and women being different makes absolutely no difference to the worth, dignity, and respect that we both deserve. God made men and women different in function but equal in worth. A man's calling to lead and protect is no better or no more virtuous and no more important than a woman's design to nurture, care for, or mother. In both instances, men and women are called to joyfully submit to their unique callings that God has made for men and women. We can sum up God's design for men and women this way. Different, intentional, equal in love, but not interchangeable. And that is where the argument was made in my office that no, 
we are the same and we can do anything and we're both the same people and we can both do anything that the other person's doing. And I was like, I appreciate a woman that says, I can be strong, I can lead, I can do these things, like, fine. But we're still different in God's function. That does not mean one is better than another. My dad always said, you know, scripture that says, Women, submit to your husbands and blah, 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 you know, and they're like, and guys are like, whoa, preach that, amen, hallelujah. In Bible quizzing this year, they're memorizing Paul's letters. I might as well address it, right? And every time that comes up, one of those scriptures, the guys in the room kind of chuckle. <laughs> but we skip and love her as Christ loved the church. Well, that's the most sacrificial self. That's a big, that's a big call. My dad always said, Gary, you'll never have to talk about submission in your marriage if you love her like Christ loved the church. And so I don't have to talk about it very much. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, <laughs> I'm teasing. But Adam and Eve... God created Adam and Eve differently, but they both partook in sin. And sin changed our world. That's why we have leaders in affairs and people spitting in police officers' face and maybe police officers not all carrying themselves the way that they should. And, and no matter what, but that's why we have these things. That's why we had sexual abuse in churches and Terrifying, terrible things because sin is disgusting and it wasn't God's plan. But sin changed our world and we must be aware that we wrestle against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness. Because of this, Peter wrote that we need to be aware in 1 Peter 2.11. He says, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. What does that mean? We're not here forever. To keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. He didn't just say you as a person. He said, you're going to have fleshly desires that will try to attack the very core of your eternal being. I hope everyone's listening from the youngest to the oldest, everybody here, everyone watching online, every single day, there is a spiritual battle for your soul. Every sing, you're not just punching a time clock, going home, having dinner, going to bed. You know, every day there is a spiritual battle for your soul. Peter says, I'm warning you about this. And so, a battle to follow Christ or to follow flesh. We cannot just go with our heart like society says. Just go with your heart. Follow your heart. Anybody ever hear this? This is, what, this is the message that's preached in society. Follow your heart. Do whatever feels good. Do whatever best for you. Don't let anybody tell you different. But Jeremiah 17, 9 says the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. So I'm going to follow the human heart that's just going to lead me wherever I want to go that day. And it's deceitful. And desperately wicked. I'm trying to walk and live right for God. But my heart's saying, go do this. And it sounds good. It feels good. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. The problem is this thing's wicked. Who really?
really knows how bad it is. That's why God had a plan. In the Old Testament, Ezekiel, the prophet, he says, I will, pour, I will give you a new heart. I'm going to put my new spirit in you. Take out your own, your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. How? He says, I'm going to put my spirit in you so you'll follow my degrees and be careful to, follow my, to obey my regulations. So what is he saying? He says what we celebrate as Pentecostals, the outpouring of God's spirit in Acts 2. He says, I'm not just going to give you law like it was in the Old Testament, but I'm going to write the law in your heart. I'm going to fill you with my very own spirit so you can be a spirit-filled believer. Why? And then it's not just a get out of, uh, get, get to heaven free card like a monopoly, okay? It is, we are called to walk in the spirit and not the flesh. And so he says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put my spirit in you. And scripturally, scripture actually spells out the fact that sexual sin, among other things, is the result of walking after the human heart rather than the spirit of God. Galatians says it, Paul writes, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, which it's gonna be very difficult to let the Holy Spirit guide your lives if you're not filled with it. He says, let, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. He did not say if your sinful nature craves something. Because he knows every one of you, even you deep, super spiritual people out there today, your sinful nature is going to crave sin. And so we can't walk after the flesh. He says the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the spirit wants to do. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Anybody ever go, man, I came to the altar, I prayed, I did this, I, I promised God all this stuff. I was on the straight and narrow. I was like, I'm never doing that again. I'm going to do this in Jesus' name. And then all of a sudden, we get by ourselves and we're like, why am I tempted? Why am I fighting this? I'm such a horrible person. I might as well give up. No, don't give up. That's happening to everybody. It's the flesh and the spirit are constantly warring. That's why we say I need to be filled with your spirit. Fast, pray, read the word, deny the flesh, walk after the spirit. And he says, but when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. He was still dealing with that. But he says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. I want to hear this. Paul lists it out. He says, when you're following after the flesh, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have sexual immorality. And that's why today we're walking after the flesh. And you don't hear abstinence preached, wait until marriage. But that's still God's message. Young people, you should not be having sex with anyone until you're married. Don't let anybody tell you differently. I know that's maybe straight preaching. And maybe the parents, I'll get some emails and say, hey, I'd appreciate it if you don't talk to my kids like that. But I'm sorry. The world's speaking it straight. I want to speak it just as straight. Impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. If I'm right, if I'm understanding, it's just called drunkenness a sin. Society's not saying that, but the Bible is. Let me tell you again, as I've said before, this wasn't the first time they heard it. 
Anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. How can you say it more clear? Paul, I just wish you would just, just be forceful. Just say it clearly. How much more clearly can he say it? Hey, guys, if you're doing these things, you ain't going to heaven. So guess what? I don't want to do those things. But my flesh might want to do a couple of things on that list. Pastor, you are a terrible, terrible person. Well, so are you. And that is why we've got to be filled with his spirit. And I got to walk after his spirit and in his spirit. And I got to say not, today I'm too busy to pray. No, I I better not skip a day to pray because I don't want to walk after the flesh. I want to tap into the spirit and walk after that. And so not every impulse we experience should be indulged. We should be suspicious about listening to our heart. Do whatever feels good. Scriptural message is countercultural, And so at times you're going to feel odd because what I'm saying goes against what everyone else is saying. But I'm not here to follow what everyone else is saying. They can't get me to heaven. And so Scripture says crucify the desires of the flesh. What does this have to do with transgenderism? Did I get off topic? No. This was intentional. I do get off topic at times, but this was intentional. In the same way that fallen desires pervade the hearts of all of us, individuals with gender dysphoria experience real feelings of distress about their gender identity. These are authentic experiences where the human heart is telling them one thing about themselves. But their physical body and the word of God is saying something else. No one should ever joke about that or dismiss it. I want you to understand that. You can love someone no matter what their sin is. Don't, don't let the world tell you you got to choose one or another. You, you, you either have to join them and accept them or you don't love them. No, you can love them. But you also don't have to be afraid of the church side that, well, I'm afraid, I'm afraid if I get too close to them, somebody might think I'm okay with this. Baloney on both sides. Love someone right where they are. But stand for what the word of God says. So no one should joke about someone who's saying, I'm struggling with gender identity, gender dysphoria, I feel like I'm transgender. That's not a joke. People dealing with this are most likely experiencing deep pain and their family is probably also experiencing deep pain. But remember this, experiencing and feeling do not mean that someone should act upon it. If we all acted upon every impulse and feeling, it would be disastrous. But this is now the predominant message of society, which is interesting because society says there's no absolute truth. But if you decide to fly through the red light doing 95 down the highway right now and got pulled over and said, officer, I I don't view the law of Missouri as absolute truth. 
So truth is relative to my circumstance. I guess I will come visit you in prison. The impulse to live out an identity at odds with our biological sex is to indulge fallen desires and perceptions with our heart and it believes in, in, in the belief that this will bring peace. If I, if I do it, this is what my heart is saying. So if I do that, then, then I'm gonna have peace. But hear me, please. Going against God's plan and principles will never bring long-term peace. You might feel okay for a minute. That list of sex, sexual sin and transgenderism and anger and all this stuff, you know, you might go ahead and, and it, it might be either pleasurable or even fulfilling or even at peace for a moment. But long term, there's agony. It's a little reported fact, I touched on this last week, that people who undergo sex reassignment surgery do not statistically report higher levels of happiness after the surgery. Transition and social acceptance do not deliver on the promise they make. And people are actually dying. Acting on the desire to live as the opposite gender does not bring peace to the heart. There are deeper issues at stake than just exterior, physical, or cosmetic alterations. And dare I even say, that's not just with transgenders. When it comes to personal adornment or whatever jewelry, makeup, immodest, whatever clothing, people are expressing the way they've brought up, the way they feel about themselves. And so I'm going to try to do something to myself to try to get me to feel confident to try to get someone to love me, to try to present myself in a way that the world around me is saying, this is beauty, and so I'm trying to match that. And so our confidence in who we are comes from what I'm trying to, pre to present to other people rather than what I'm trying to present to God. That's the message of holiness. It is not, here's the rules, and you got to do this and do this. If you're going to be a part of this, if that's why you're doing it, don't even do it, please. No, one is, no one's forcing or asking you to do that. But when I say I have a conviction about something, I see something in God's word, this is how I'm going to choose to live my life. Everyone around you might say, you're crazy. Why do you do that? You look weird. That's strange, whatever. And you can say, yeah, but here's the thing. I love you. I respect you. But I am not doing this to try to get and match your definition of beauty. I'm not presenting my body to you, I'm presenting my body to him as a living sacrifice. We talked about Bruce Jenner last week and how he transitioned to Caitlyn Jenner. But keep in mind, Dr. Paul McHugh a distinguished professor of psychiatry at Johns Hopkins Medical School and former psychiatrist-in-chief 
at Johns Hopkins Medical School. We're not just talking about like a, oh yeah, the UPC preacher down the road. Like, no, this is a distinguished person in the medical field. Says it clearly, and I quote, transgendered men do not ever actually become women. Or vice versa. All become feminized men or masculinized women, counterfeits or impersonators of the sex with which they now identify. This is confusion. It's a lie from the devil. He goes on to say, gender dysphoria, the official psychiatric term for feeling oneself to be of the opposite sex, belongs in the family of similarly disordered assumptions about the body, such as anorexia nervosa and body dysmorphic disorder. Its treatment should not be directed at the body as with surgery and hormones any more than one treats obesity, fearing anorexic patients with liposuction. The treatment should strive to correct the false, problematic nature of the assumption and to resolve the psychosocial conflicts provoking it. This is not a preacher. I'm not saying this. I'm quoting a respected medical official. You will not hear CNN, MSNBC interview people like this. It's a beautiful world that we live in. I started by saying I thank God for the United States of America. But it's also a broken one. It's filled with humans who are capable of great good and great mistakes. Our hearts, minds, and bodies are beautiful things, but they are broken things. They have been since Adam and Eve first decided they would be better rulers of this creation than their creator. But there's hope buried in brokenness. God took on flesh to not just pay the price for our sin, but to also send us his spirit so we could live free from sin. No matter where you are, who you are, what you're struggling with, if this somehow gets and somebody that is transgender is watching this, I want you to know that we won't, we, not only will we love you, but Jesus Christ loves you. But it's not just transgenderism. Paul listed a whole list of, of sins. And chances are, there are a whole bunch of people in this place today that are struggling with something on that list. There's nothing more that the devil would want is you're hopeless. How long have you been struggling with this? God didn't just take on flesh to forgive sin. He also took on flesh to free you, give you a spirit, and let you live as an overcomer. One of the greatest promises of hope that Jesus offers us in this life is this, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ 
has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. King James says, a new creature. No matter how much you're struggling, hear me when I say, you can trade your old life for a new life. You can trade. And you know what? You look around at people who got tears in their eyes or who are raising their hands up in the air. Chances are they have some incredible stories that they can say, I used to be this way. I used to walk this way. You don't understand what I used to struggle with. And they can tell you stories of testimony. So no matter where you are, what you're going through, how long you've been there, you can go, hang on a second here. I got a promise that I can make a trade and get rid of all the stuff that I've been involved in, and I can start fresh. Just about done. But last week... I referenced Bruce Jenner transitioning, and I mentioned his famous appearance on the cover of the magazine Vanity Fair. I think in 14 years, this is the first time I've said Vanity Fair. I don't suggest reading it, but on that cover, he is in lingerie in a provocative pose. But his arms are behind his back. No, no hands showing. After this magazine cover came out, a blog post came out from a photographer, and this blog post went viral. This photographer said, she said this, I quote, one of my mentors has always said, a good, photograph, a good photograph should stand on its own, meaning it alone tells its story, and the backstory is irrelevant. If you accept this, what I see when I look at this image is a badly posed person looking awkwardly at the camera. I'm confused why the hands are hidden. The very masculine shoulders, arms, and legs suggest to me that this is a drag queen. Notwithstanding the breasts, a flare to the hips, and a lack of an Adam's apple, as I know can all be achieved through Photoshop. However, the photographer just did not know what to do with the large, mannish hands. So he simply told the subject, hide them. Look at your hands right now. If you're a man, you're sitting next to your spouse, do not. If you're not married, don't grab the woman's hands next to you. It'd just be really awkward for everybody. But if you're a man, maybe if you're next to your spouse, just hold, just hold your hand up next to your spouse. Just go ahead and do that. Who's, whose hands are bigger? I would say, now there's probably a chance that maybe somebody, maybe there's a female's hands who are bigger than her husband's. We still love both of you. It's a little it's a little different than the norm, but you're loved. Um, but there's also a ruggedness about a man's hands that make them better suited for physical labor. Now again, naysayers, are you saying a woman can't do physical labor? I didn't say that. I didn't say that. 
If you're a woman, it's very likely that your hands are more, are, are smaller than a man's. Your hands are more delicate. Your bones are smaller. The knuckles don't protrude quite like a man's. They're not as strong and probably not as hairy. And if they are, you're probably working to do something about it, for all I know. But why in the world would I end this sermon and this series talking about hands? Because the lack of hands in the cover of Vanity Fair tells us a great deal, not only about Jenner's struggles for self-acceptance. Imagine, this is my newfound freedom. This is who I am, and I'm going to present it to the world. But yet, I'm still going to have to hide a part of me. The irony, and I'm opening this up and sharing it with the world, but still holding part of me back. The fact is that in that photo shoot, Jenner went to every effort to demonstrate femininity. Took every step to assert sex appeal as a woman. Eyelashes, breasts, facial work. But the hands could not follow. Our existence simply cannot be remade or recast without remnants of our true self somehow still shining through. We can try to tamper with God's design but how he made the world and each of us in it continues even when it goes against our will. Jenner had to hide his hands from the camera because Jenner's male-born hands are a reminder of whatever perception we have of ourselves. There are traits to our existence that tell the truth about who we really are. Our hands don't tell us everything about who we are but they do remind us how we've been made. All of us try to hide parts of our existence, whether physical. I don't like that. I'm going to paint that, cover that. I don't want anybody to see this. I'm going to change this. Or emotional. Hi, I'm good. How are you? It's good. And we leave and go to dark rooms in our house and say, God, I wish I couldn't live. God, I don't want anybody to see the way I feel right now, but if I did, maybe somebody wouldn't respect me. Like Jenna, we're hiding behind our back. We're showing people parts, but other parts we feel like nobody can see this. We humans have been hiding since the time of Adam and Eve when they hid in the garden. Because that's what sin does. Sin, do you think if they would have come, God, we messed up. God, I want to bring you this here. He came looking for them. And they were hiding. Thinking they could hide something from God. Where are you? Shh, he's coming. Why? Because when sin comes in, we feel the natural humanity says... I can't let anybody see this, not even God himself. But when sin happens, God's desire is to expose it, not hide it. 
We've all been craving for the stable sense of identity and acceptance, but this leads us to this other pair of hands in John 20. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus showed up and came the first time around. So they told him, we've seen the Lord after his resurrection. Thomas is a little bitter, a little frustrated he wasn't there. He says, I will not believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Because there's something about your hands that show where you've been. Unless I put my fingers in him and place my hands in the wounds in his side. And eight days later, Jesus came looking for him. They were together again. This time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. Suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing in the room with them. He says, peace be unto you. And he looks at Thomas. Obviously, he was there for one reason. Thomas, he says, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer, but believe. And Thomas exclaimed, my Lord and my God, and I do not imagine that going, wow, thanks, my Lord, my God. I imagine a man who was broken, tears streaming down his cheeks, hitting the ground on his knees, kneeling before a Savior going, my Lord and my God. Jesus proved his resurrection to his doubting disciples by holding out what? His hands. Real resurrected hands with real nail-caused scars. His hands were and are scarred from the cross. The cross where he took the brokenness of the world on himself to, to redeem creation. His hands were and are a reminder that he was broken so you and I could be restored. Restored in mind, body, soul, and spirit. We have a God with scars who knows what brokenness feels like. Offers a future of a real and lasting wholeness beyond all the frustration and the pain. And if you're here trying to hide from him like Adam and Eve were, he's looking for you. If you're here frustrated about what brokenness has happened in your life and you're just like, you know what? I'm just frustrated. He's literally coming here like he did for Thomas, calling you by name and looking for you. He's holding out his hands to you. Nail scarred hands. Unlike what we're talking about with Jenner and hiding. No, he has nothing to hide. It's wide open. And the hands are extended. He's willing to show them. Go ahead, touch them. Because the message of these hands is not anything that the world, oh, got to hide identity, hide who you are. That's what the world's saying. Just be you, be you. And, and if you need to, you know, you just, you just, if when something bad happens, you hide out when sin happens, oh, I'm going to hide from God. Nope, God's looking for you. And he's coming with nothing to hide and he's got his hands out going, here you go. You go, you're broken? I was too. You got something to hide? You don't have to. You see this right here? I did this for you. You see this right here? There's nothing going on in your life right now that you're too far gone, that I don't love you, that I don't accept you. Let's just come on. Just come here. Just come on. 
he, he holds out his hands. There's nothing to hide. And so, yeah, we wrap up a series on transgenderism, but you know what? It's a whole lot more. It's a whole lot more than that. There's a whole list of sins, and you might be partaking in some of those things. That's not a, that's not a, a, a oh, you're wrong. No, it's a Jesus right here today is going, here you go. I was broken for that. Don't keep going. Don't hide behind a bush. Come on. Come on. I got nothing to hide. I can relate to the brokenness. I took it on for you. I love you. Come on. And his hand's outstretched today. And so today I invite every person. If you're online and watching this live, make an altar right where you are. If you're watching this archived, make an altar. But if you're here today, this place is designated as a, as a place to respond. It's designated. There's part, we purposely don't put chairs all the way to the front because this is a place that's set aside to come and to sit and to kneel and to stand and to go, God, I receive what you're extending. I want to touch your nail-scarred hands. Let it remind me once again of your brokenness, of paying the price so that even though the culture that I am living in, I do not have to live uh, 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 to what they're saying. I'm going to live countercultural because I want to grab hold of your hands. And I know that even though I haven't been perfect, I know you paid the price. And so I invite you right now to find a place to pray at this, this, this altar that has been designated as a place of response to God Almighty. Like the invitation to Thomas. He desperately wanted Thomas to believe and to trust him. In church, he's inviting you to do the same. But all he's going to do is extend a hand. It's a nail-scarred hand, but that's it. He's going to extend the hand and say, here you go. I hope you trust me. I want you to trust me. I want you to have faith in me. I want you to have confidence in me. But ultimately, it's your choice to respond or not. Thomas cried out, my Lord and my God, which tells me he absolutely accepted Christ's extended hand.